Thanks for checking out the Long and Short of It podcast. You can find us on all good podcast platforms. Please consider following or subscribing. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games on the Metacritic Top 100 list. My name's Dan and I'm joined by... I'm Lawrence. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, how are you today? I am quite well. It's what day are we on? It's a Monday that we're recording this. So, I'm not, not a big fan of Mondays, but today's been alright. So, yeah, can't complain. What about you? Yeah, it's quite impressive that you've already lost track of days and it's only Monday. <laughs> Apparently I'm an adult, I've heard. Oh dear. Um, yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah, it's... I mean, I mean, we we ask each other how things are going, but I think for the past year, it's basically been a write-off. So, yeah, it's, pretty, pretty much. It's not much to say ever, is there? I mean, no. We'll... It's nice that we've got this though to keep us uh, nice. Nice to have a little project, isn't it? One day I'm going to spring something completely random and unexpected in there just to just to spice things up. Today we are looking at 2007's hit game Bioshock. It is number 18 on the list. It has a score of 96. Let's jump straight in. So, Bioshock. Quick thoughts off the top of your head. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, we, we, we've discussed this a little bit through the week, and I think this is going to be quite a, um, quite a polarising episode because Bioshock is a very well-respected, well-renowned game, and you and me have some similar views on it, but at the same time we we differ quite a bit as well um and i think those are always the more interesting episodes where we don't fully agree with each other and they don't happen very often so that means we don't have very many interesting episodes right listener (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i don't know i i got through it and for the first half of it i got through it kicking and screaming because i just wasn't really that into it and it picked up a little bit in the second half um but as someone that's you know doesn't know too much about bioshock it was really my first time going into it but initial thoughts are just yeah it was okay it was all right nothing special what about yourself yeah i think i came away it's definitely flawed it's definitely aged but i think i came away generally quite positive about it um which i expected as i've completed this game before um speaking of which your history with the series because you do have a bit of history with the series don't you yeah very slight i i've played bioshock infinite um i think i must have played that towards the end of 2013 or early 2014 because i remember it was when we were still at uni and it was, yeah, it was one third of the, year yeah it I was playing it because it was one of the free games that came on psn at the time which surprises me a little bit thinking back on it because it was still a new game back then. Um, yeah. But for whatever reason, it was free on PSN around 2014. Played it just off the cuff because I was like, oh, well, I've heard this is good. Played it all the way through, completed it. I quite enjoyed it. But other than that, no history with Bioshock. I know a little bit about System Shock. Um, anyone that does listen to this podcast knows that I watch quite a lot of videos on you know, gaming history and old games and stuff from the 90s and the early noughties. And System Shock's been one of those games that I've always been 
acutely aware of and the fact that it is kind of like a bigger um bigger brother to bioshock the series but other than that the only one i've played is infinite and had no real knowledge of the other games prior to you know seeing stuff on youtube about them with obviously the spoiler um of, of you know the would you kindly and a man chooses a slave obeys because it's very well known gaming twist spoilers ahead if you haven't played the game but minimal you just spoiled it for a whole i haven't because i haven't told them what that means so it's fine (laughs) just some random phrases yeah just throwing some phrases at you but yeah my 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 experience with it is very very minimal played one of the games which is also included on the top 100 list yeah um so infinite came out in 2013 and i think you're right it's it's very peculiar that it went so quickly onto the PlayStation Store yeah. or onto the um, free games for PSN, and I think that probably speaks to its sales a bit. Um, I do remember at the time that they expected it to sell a lot more, and for a very long time afterwards, Irrational Games that made the Bioshock games, um, they were on thin ice, put it that way. And it's only recently that things have started to gain momentum again, and we we look to be getting Bioshock 4, which is great. Um, I've got a bit more history than you. I picked this up in 2008 on the PS3. It was about a year after the 360 version came out. And I got this the same year, the same Christmas, that Fallout 3 came out. So in my mind, there were two games from the 50s that had a lot of parallels. And um, I started playing it, and I made it... Now, it would either be the apartment area or Apollo Square. And what happened was my original PS3, the 60 gigabyte version that played PS2 games, um, died <laughs> with Bioshock in the uh, in the disc slot. So I, I sold my PS3. Oh. <laughs> for parts. Yeah, well, not for parts, but that's a, that's a story for another day. <laughs> I oh, sold my PS3, not for parts. Um, to game they took it right their problem (laughs) and yeah um, I actually managed to get the disc out before I sold it though but obviously the PS3 wasn't working so it was some time until I returned to Bioshock but I was enjoying it before then Um, there was a point where it really clicked for me but to be fair it it did take some time to click for me Um, I think the place where it finally clicked and started to make sense that I described it to you was um, when you go into Fontaine's apartment and you've got Danny Boy playing in the background, you've got that giant bear um, at the top of the yeah, stairs. Yeah, the top of the staircase. Yeah, and, and you've got this elaborate um, art deco apartment at your feet. It's uh, it's moments like that that to me make Bioshock. And I went back, must be, a, can't have been that long later, but I went back and completed it. And I was generally impressed by the game and then i bought bioshock 2 when it came out but again that was one that was sitting on the back burner for a while and then i completed that straight after i completed one um and i actually preferred two and i know that within a subsection of the community that's um that's something that's becoming more of a popular thing to say um maybe not everyone but uh yeah there's a there's a subsection of people that agree that that they prefer two over one um, and then 
Infinite came out, I was really excited about Infinite before it came out. Um, this was one of the games, I don't really do it anymore, but this was one of the games that I was looking at all the trailers and um, really keeping an eye on it. And I was very excited. I remember I got this game. I was coming back from university for, I don't know if it was, no, it must have been summer. Um, yeah, I reckon summer. Yeah, so it must have been summer 2013. Yeah, because so just after we finished second year. And I got this game, I had birthday money, and we stopped off at a Sainsbury's on the way home, and I, I thought, okay, because back at university, before then I pick up every new release as it came out, and I kind of do that nowadays as well. Um, that's <laughs> that's how big a gamer I am. I just pick up anything, whether whether I, whether I you, you don't like play it or them. not. You pick them up, but yeah, you don't so, play them. I'm better at playing them now, but yeah, they usually go on the back burner for some time, and then I get around to playing them. But I, I am better at playing them now. But yeah, I've I've got a huge backlog. Um, that was a running joke at are... uni that you bought Skyrim like the day it came out or whatever, and then it just it just stayed in its wrap for the entirety of the three years that that we're at uni together. You well, now I've got it, it on. I've got the enhanced version on Switch, and that mm. is probably still in its shrink wrapping as well. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's still a problem that I have, but I mean, gamer problems, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I fits. So we, so I never used to buy things at university because I didn't have the money to buy things on release. But I happened to have some birthday money, and I thought, okay, this is the game that I've been really looking forward to. I'm going to give it a go. So bought it, completed it over the summer holiday. Um, and what did you play it on at the time ps3 yeah it's yeah. ps3 um and uh, i was underwhelmed put it that way i mean we'll go go more into my thoughts on infinite when we get to that episode but yeah, yeah. so i've played the three bioshock games i haven't played the system shock games maybe i'll go and play them at some point but i can't say that i'm excited about going back to them um, that's what I said to you yesterday as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I've got a, a, a decent bit of history. I wouldn't say that I'm the biggest fan of these games. There, is, there are definitely people that consider these to be their favourite games ever. I'm not one of those people, but I did really enjoy them. Um, so, what version of this did you play for this playthrough today? Uh, I played the PS4 version on the PS5. Managed to. And how was that? Yeah, well, I managed to secure a PS5 a few weeks ago, and this is really the first game that I've played through to completion on it. It was, you know, it, it looked good, it looked crisp. I think it was running um, the same as what it would do on a PS4 Pro, really. Um, but I played it via the Bioshock Collection, which was another PSN title um, from a year or so ago that I've had in the library. So, yeah, Bioshock 1 and 2 are on there, and then I've got Infinite as well stored up. So, yes, played it on the PS5, but you had quite a different experience, didn't you? Yeah, so I picked this one up at Christmas on the Switch um, because the Bioshock collection came over to the Switch, I think it was last year, and I thought, what better way to play these games than in handheld and just see what the experience is like in handheld. So the vast majority of this experience, right up until the last couple of hours, I played in handheld with a pair of headphones and certainly to begin with it drastically changed it changed the experience and it felt i mean the biggest the biggest takeaway was that when you're playing with headphones on you really appreciate the ambient soundtrack and it's quite creepy especially to begin with you get all the cries of the splicers 
and all these unknown noises and these clanks and this industrial sound and then you've got that really fantastic soundtrack going over it as well um i think you start to get used to it after a little while so you don't quite appreciate it as much as yeah. you would and i think also the horror elements within the game which which are there but i think they lessen as the game uh progresses so i think i got used to it and the last couple of hours i played in um i played in docked mode and 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 to be fair the, the switch version looks really nice especially in handheld it looks really really nice um in dock mode it looks decent as well and it runs smoothly so it's um a good way to play if you want to play these games in a different way if you're a fan of these games yeah i imagine um, it looked quite good in handheld to be fair it looked really good in handheld i was really surprised it looked like it looked much newer than 2007 it looked yeah because because it, it was maxing out that screen i think it was running at 720p oh, nice. um, which is the most that screen can do and it and it just looked really nice yeah really polished and you any any things that would show that it's a 2007 game you couldn't really see because it's such a small screen yeah they cleared um, it yeah now anyone that knows about bioshock knows that this is a uh it's a quite a plot heavy game um so would you do your best and i will time you to <laughs> give us the plot within one minute please yeah I'll, I'll give, give it a go so the year is 1960 i believe uh you play as a character called jack who is on a plane at the start of the game it crashes into the sea you swim over to a lighthouse take an elevator down into this underwater city called rapture it's got an element of um like a 1920s to 50s style atlantis really and you make contact with a mysterious person called atlas who is giving you instructions through the game of trying to find his family trying to save them and also putting thoughts in your head about the overseer of the entire city, a guy called Andrew Ryan, and how Andrew Ryan's a terrible person and a dictator. And you go through the game following Atlas's instructions. You then find out later on that you are being mind-controlled by keywords, those words being, would you kindly? And it turns out that Atlas is this gangster criminal called Fontaine, and the end of the game, you've already killed Andrew Ryan through your mind control, and you fight Fontaine in a very underwhelming final boss battle. <laughs> and against that's it. An, uh, and you live happily ever after. Against an Oscar statue. Yes, quite right. And oh, there are other terrible. elements of the game, such as Big Daddy's little sisters, etc., etc. But that is my summary of the story. Okay, so the first thing I wanted to to cast a light on is could you describe to our listeners how this story is told as it's in primarily told. generally speaking we get cutscenes. so yeah how is this story told so it's primarily told through um voice voice notes um audio tapes that you pick up as you go through and they're entirely missable so if you don't pick them up and play them as you go along you will miss out on massive elements of the story I picked up the ones that I found, but I didn't go out of my way to look for them. So I, I heard a fair few, but a majority of the story is told, i.e. through the tapes that you pick up and listen to or through Atlas telling you what's been going on or you can see stuff going on in the environment and things yeah. unravelling around you. 
that's what I wanted to pick up on, which was the, I mean, at this point, and even today, games love a cutscene. Um, yeah. Whereas this game was a big, um, it was a big proponent for environmental storytelling, which was, I mean, one of, one of the great ones that I, I love and I, I'll just uh, relay to you is you, one of the early moments in the game. So you, you step foot into Rapture and you go to this restaurant called the Kashmir Restaurant and it's celebrating New Year, New Year in Rapture. Yeah, and it is one of my favourite environments in the game because this single room, which apparently they spent months months working on, apparently was one of the, the first rooms that they created and they wanted to get this one room right before they carried on with the rest of the game. Um so what this tells you this room is they were in the middle of a celebration it was obviously a happy prosperous place and everything deteriorated really quickly downstairs is flooded you've got bodies on the floor you've got splicers who are your antagonists your your standard bad guys who can be especially to begin with quite intimidating um and you've got the voice logs around giving you a bit of backstory. You've got blood written notes on the walls, um, people locked in toilets. And I just think it's such a brilliant use of environmental storytelling. And yeah, I, think... I, I like that room as well. It, it did look very cool, especially with the, the New Year signs up everywhere, etc. It's a high it's contrast. Just, it's just the, um, it's the antithesis between what we traditional, traditionally think of as New Year yeah and this destruction and this carnage and this um horror scene basically um so i really i really love that room and and i think it's a great example of the environmental storytelling that they did there and i wish games would do environmental storytelling more um it's that idea of showing the player rather than telling the player um and also in terms of the use of um recorded notes it was one of the first games to really do this and obviously it harkens back to the System Shock games. But I would say this is the game that popularised them and they started showing up in every other game. But there's a difference here for me in that these voice notes are really well acted and I really enjoy listening to them. They really flesh out the story for me. And it's not like sometimes when I'm playing a game and there's recorded things, I'm just like, okay, I'm picking these up to be a completionist gamer, um, but I really couldn't care less what they're saying. But... That's not the case in Bioshock. I really enjoy them. And I think it's the fact that they're so well acted that I enjoy it. Yeah, there, there, um, are, some, there are some voice notes that I preferred listening to more than others, like the Doctor at the start, etc. I wasn't that bothered about what he had to say. But then there are other characters where I would be interested, particularly, um, I think her name's Tenenbaum. Oh, yeah, the, the German Doctor. The, yeah, the lady that looks after the Little Sisters. I quite liked her voice... Um, voice logs etc and the stuff that she fed through to you um but yeah i mean overall I, I really like the implementation of the voice logs because it gave a lot of backstory to to everything that was going on around you which like i say you can either completely pass it by but um i think it's worth going out of your way to pick up the ones that you come across on your way you know there's there's um another character which i don't think we ever meet i mean could be wrong um, I don't know this game as well as some people do, but you, you got Andrew Ryan's girlfriend, 
who you pick up some of her voice logs. Oh, and the one it tells... from the, the club. And she was yeah, pregnant. but it. Yeah, but it, it, she her voice logs go all the way through um, Steinman's clinic, mm. and they go all the way through. Um, there's some of her sharp in Fort Frolic as well, and actually no, they go all the way to. Um, if you went to the Little Sisters Orphanage, um, which was in, where was that? I think that was in Apollo Square. Um, it was an optional area in Apollo Square, but it's quite a big optional area, which surprised me. You wake up and there after. Um... No, no, that that's not the Little Sisters Orphanage. Oh. Um, that's that's Tenenbaum's place. Oh right. But there's also Fontaine's Little Sisters Orphanage. Basically, towards the end of Apollo Square, you're given the options go straight to Point Prometheus via the the, the subway system or the the yeah. Bathysphere the system. Metro. But there's a large building in front of you that you can go go to. And I see. It's it's got about four or five floors and. Um, there are some of her voice notes there as well. So her story kind of is there throughout the game, but um, you can easily miss it. And you, like I said, you don't ever meet the character, but it's a really interesting story. Mm. Um, okay, so we've mentioned some of the levels here. Now, have you got any favourite slash least favourite levels? To be honest with you, like I said at the start of this this episode, that the game for me really started to engage me a lot more towards the second half, and I'd say from Fort Frolic onwards, that was where I started to enjoy it. But the first first few areas, like the doctor's surgery, everything around that area, and Arcadia, they were fine, but they were a slog for me to get through. I found them quite dull, so I'd say a majority of the maps or environments up to Fort Frolic I didn't enjoy that much um, particularly with the 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 surgeon's area being just very meh to me um, I didn't really enjoy those parts what about yourself? I think the, the areas that I least enjoyed I mean I, I just mentioned Apollo Square now before you get to Fontaine's Little Sisters Orphanage I think that level's not great I think it um, it feels like a bit of a cut and paste level, and it doesn't feel like there's a lot of environmental storytelling going on there. Um, that wasn't my favourite. Hephaestus, I mean, it's a pretty bland level. That's the one before the part where you kill Andrew Ryan, and it's um, a very red level. It's very industrial. It's meant to be like yeah. A I didn't really enjoy that bit either, actually. And you're just collecting all these parts Into for the something core. to cause an EMP um, blast. But yeah, it's it, it it just it was just a bit too similar. Yeah. I like it when the levels feel distinct and but some of them feel a bit too like they all feel the whole level feels the same. Um I think a surprising favourite for me, which I didn't anticipate, was Point Prometheus. Um I'd completely forgotten about this level. I forgot what was I'd forgotten what was there. Um but it's it's basically this this fact or no this it's, it's, it's kind of like a fallout vault and you're collecting parts to make yourself into a big daddy and this is where they experimented on, on all the little sisters and I just really love that level I think it's very varied that yeah and I just love the design of the level and there's there's a lot of environmental stuff in there and I love the look of the level as well um, that it reminded me of a fallout vault and then the level after that proving grounds was an abomination and i 
hated every second of it. <laughs> Swings aroundabouts. Yeah. Proving Grounds is the one where you have to es- escort a little sister. And... <sighs> I, didn't, one of these... I didn't mind that. It was fine. It's just the fact that they kept using the same dialogue over and over again. It's like, let's go, Mr. B. We can go and see an angel. Or something. And just constantly those like four lines... And the only game that I can think that's done escorting well is Eco. That's the only game that I enjoy that has escorting, and it's escorting for the whole game in that game. Um, but it's so hard to do in a in a fun way. And there's only one thing that games need to do to make escorting more bearable, and that's to have the person you're escorting or the person you're travelling with travel at the same pace that you do i've i've been replaying hitman over the past um week or so and just how slow npcs walk compared to you when you're trying to lead them somewhere or follow them somewhere it winds me up i remember it being an issue with oblivion which we'll we'll come to at some point oh yeah it's across the board with games and i don't know why (laughs) it's like it's just so irritating and yeah, that's my biggest gripe with escort missions is that the person you're escorting or you're walking with is just slow and it makes you walk a little bit, stop, wait, walk a little bit, stop, wait for them to catch up and it's just, it's one of my bug bugbears with games as you might be able to tell from my, my opinion. I mean, the little sisters in Proving Grounds, one second they're walking really, really, really slow Yeah. and then one second they're, they're, there's a bit where you're running through water and they're going double the speed you are. And they're running into they're running into gun turrets and getting themselves killed. <laughs> you're just trying to catch up. It's because they're as sick of the escort mission as you are. So oh. you know I'm going to end it. I'm just going to run in front of this turret. And I know your favourite escort mission is escorting Emma Emmerich in Metal Gear Solid Two. That makes me not want to play the game. I think I might have even <laughs> mentioned that in our MGS Two episode. Whenever I, I don't think, think we did. MGS2 I think we again. I have to seriously question whether I can put myself through holding hands with Emma and guiding her through because oh it's so bad I think we mentioned it in the MGS1 episode but in the actual MGS2 episode I think I made a comment that we made it all the way to the end without mentioning Emma (laughs) Ah, right yeah Yeah. so escort missions get in the bin Um, yeah so that's uh, that's my favourite slash least favourite levels um now the the characters in the game there's a very bunch of characters and by Ken Levine who is I think he's the creative director on the BioShock or on BioShock and BioShock Infinite and he he said that these characters uh, especially these villainous characters are often um in the same vein as Batman villains and I really got that that sense and this game reminds me a lot of Arkham Asylum at times um, I mean, you've got someone like Sander Cohen, who is, he could easily be a Batman villain. And Steinman as well could easily be a Batman villain. They're the two strongest villains that I can think of. They're the two that were memorable. Um, you've got some other ones in there as well, but they didn't really, I mean, they're, they're not really that memorable to me. But what, what what was your general feeling of the characters that were presented here? I think with... With Jack, the protagonist, he's only got like three spoken lines at the start of the game, hasn't he? So it's quite hard to kind of get to know him. But I mean, saying that though, we said the same 
we the same kind of vibe that Joker's got in Persona Five Royal. I really like Joker, so I think it just depends what you do with your protagonist. But Jack is just a, you know, just he's he's, he's just there. And I think because I played Infinite before and Booker DeWitt is a lot more charismatic, I think I was expecting a bit more out of him. Um, Sander Cohen, I think, is is an interesting one because of what he makes you do. And you told me that you can actually spare him and not kill him, whereas as soon as he appeared on the staircase for me, I just opened fire and shot him. <laughs> um, but he was quite an interesting character. And to be honest with you, I quite liked Atlas before he became Fontaine, and then Fontaine's just quite irritating that he'll just randomly give you I a little agree. ring up and he'll just start laughing about stuff down the thing, and he's just like, "Shut up!" There was a lot more to him when he was Atlas. Yeah, and I, I, now, I, I much um, preferred him beforehand. I'm glad you mentioned Atlas. Actually, um, when I when I first played this game, I was playing it close to the time I didn't know about the uh, the plot twist mm. and all this stuff of uh, the Atlas has got a family and stuff like that. I was, I was buying into it. I was thinking, okay, this is, I mean, this guy's asking me to do a lot of stuff and he's asking me to save his family. I don't know where he is, but he's an, a character that I can, I suppose, sympathize with. And I was invested in that storyline. So the twist got me when I first played it. Um, Apparently, when they were when they were doing the uh, the voice work for this game, the original voice of Atlas. Apparently, no one trusted him, so they settled on this Irish accent, and it was actually. Um, I mean, apparently there were other issues that people were questioning how authentic the Irish accent was, but it was actually someone from Dublin that did the accent, so it was a it was a true Irish accent there. Um, but yeah, I just found that interesting that a lot of it rested on this accent and there's something to be said about accents that are trustworthy and that aren't. Yeah. Um, and obviously Frank Fontaine's voice is a very like Southern drawl and it's <laughs> not in any way trustworthy. It's you just want to punch him in the face. <laughs> no. Same with Andrew Ryan though. Andrew Ryan's got that yeah. very um, slimy, like m- mid Atlantic American voice. Yeah. Mid Atlantic kind of just looks down on you. Uh, co- co- condescending. Yeah. Accent. Um, um, yeah. So I wanted to touch on the themes of Bioshock a bit before we move on. Um, so Andrew Ryan was based on a philosopher called Ayn Rand. And the game deals a, a lot with this uh, this concept called objectivism, which is that people should be self-interested. People should do what they can to achieve their own goals before helping other people. Anti-communism. Now we see basically. this. Yeah, and that yeah, gets exactly. A few times as well, doesn't it? Yeah, and and Ayn Rand, she was, I think she was Russian, so um, it it go it goes to show why she might have those views. Mm. Um, so there was something curious that I wanted to mention, which is that a lot of people say that Bioshock is an anti-objectivism game. But I read something yesterday which was really interesting, which was saying that it's not anti-objectivism. Um, now let me <laughs> let me try and word this because these are we're getting into some high concept stuff here. Um, so Andrew Ryan is pro-objectivism, and 
he wants everyone to kind of uh, be selfish and to do their own thing. But Andrew Ryan starts to try and control Rapture. So he starts to not... I don't think he knows it, but he goes against his own objectivism. So, for example, in a real objectivist society, people would be able to import and export goods from outside of Rapture. But Andrew Ryan stops that from happening and he starts to kind of govern it. And it's not an anti-objectivism society. It's him losing his objectivist values. And that's what destroys it. So I found that really interesting, <laughs> if you could keep up with that. Well, um, I think there's probably comparisons there to um, to the Soviet Union. Because you bear in mind that when Lenin and the Bolsheviks did the the takeover of um of Russia during the nineteen I think it's nineteen seventeen revolution, that communism was supposed to be this amazing thing where everyone was free, everyone was equal, but then as it went forward the the communist dream kind of became very distorted and then you look at Stalinism and how Stalin ran the country and then from there you know, you got Khrushchev and all the way up to Gorbachev when things kind of changed and the Soviet Union fell. But it's the um, it's the it's the animal farm quote, isn't it? All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. And you you start off in these grand projects with the best intentions, but sooner or later it will become clouded. And yeah, you know, I think that there's definitely an element of that in Bioshock that Rapture was created with the, the very best intentions and it was supposed to be this paradise but the, the cracks began to show and like you say the the, the objection is it objectionist yeah object objectivism objectivism Obje- switched yeah. with with Ryan and that really led to part part of the reason why Rapture fell I suppose yeah, and I'm glad you, you said the word distorted there, and I agree. It's a distorted vision, so it's not actually anti-objectivism. No. It's it's when objectivism... I mean, I'm not. this is not me saying I'm for or against objectivism, but I'm just talking about purely about the game because I don't really agree with it as a concept. But the game is not anti-objectivist. It's, it's saying what happens when those values go wrong. So it's a distortion of that. And we, we were talking about the name Rapture. So the name Rapture in Christianity means end of days, but it also means when the living and the dead will rise and they'll Get taken meet. to paradise. Yeah, they will meet God and, and they'll go to heaven. Um, so Rapture's got a double meaning here. It's, it's paradise under the sea, but it's also the end of days. And it quite literally is the end of days for Rapture. All the citizens are dying, they're all turning on each other and this this paradise is imploding um so it's a very clever name as well i think um it's just important to touch on these themes because it is a very theme heavy game and it's not always it's, it's quite political yeah and it's not always um the, the most subtle game sometimes it bludgeons you with these themes but they're there and they're worth discussing um i mean it's interesting that the first thing you see when you enter rapture is a huge statue of andrew ryan with, with the words underneath 
no God, no kings, only man. And then this big man that's kind of presented as a deity, Andrew Ryan. Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's a direct reflection of Stalinism, isn't it? It's just, it's just very. Some of the, some of the irony there is so, it's so um, captivating. It's so, yeah, it's great. Um, okay, now we've not got onto this section yet, which is our usual section that is always in every single uh, discussion we have, and that is gameplay is king. Now, is Bioshock fun to you? Yeah, I, 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 I see Bioshock quite differently to how you do because i primarily just see it as a first person shooter and i don't think it's a particularly well engineered first person shooter and it could be a lot tighter and i've been told that the mechanics in bioshock 2 kind of fix the um the fps elements of of bioshock but if you're just kind of looking for basic first person shooting with a bit of a a different kind of environment with you know interesting themes and yeah i'd say it's fun i personally i'm on the fence with it the first half i didn't find fun at all and almost threw the towel in i didn't i didn't think i was going to be able to complete it for this for this episode but i persevered i did manage and i think depending on what kind of game style you enjoy because you enjoy games like horror games and games that have got a bit more um thematic value to them whereas i i do enjoy those but if they're not to my taste then i can fall off quite quickly but i found for me that bioshock was saved by it's quite action heavy second half so yes and no in terms of if i find this game fun sometimes yes but a lot of the time no is it my roundabout answer to your question <laughs> yeah that's fair enough i'm gonna i want to throw a game at you now it's a game that we've discussed before which is spec ops the line yeah so that to me has a lot of similarities to bioshock i think if you judge it as an fps it's pretty standard stuff i don't think it does anything tremendously well as an fps um but what elevates that game in the same way to me that elevates bioshock is the themes and the story and the setting so i suppose my question to you is what and 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 this is this is no judgment this is just me i suppose being just asking uh difficult questions um so what so what makes the themes and and the story and the setting in that game appealing to you Whereas Bioshock isn't so appealing to you. Maybe it's it's hard to say. I mean, j- just so people don't comment and tell you that you're wrong. Uh, bear in mind, Spec Ops is a third-person shooter, not an FPS. Okay, yeah. Um, and I've always quite enjoyed third-person shooters as a rule anyway. But I think with with Spec Ops, it's because it's a bit more grounded in reality. And... I think both Spec Ops and Bioshock are thrillers in their own in their own way. But with Spec Ops it's a lot more involved in the I can't remember the the protagonist's name in Spec Ops, but it's a it's a much more targeted story at him and his more personal story. It's a more personal story in his descent into 
not madness, but the what the horrors of war can really do to someone. And you've got the very stark scenes in that game, such as the white phosphorus scene. And as well as that, another reason that I like it is because obviously it's based on um, Heart of Darkness, which and Apocalypse Now as well is yeah obviously is the um, is the the brain and the the background of Apocalypse Now, and I'm not the biggest fan of military shooters, but I think with Spec Ops it was because there was. We, d- we discussed this yesterday, and I'm a big fan of story-heavy games. And the story to Spec Ops isn't the most in-depth thing, but I think the themes there and the the moral questions that you have to ask yourself and the things that you have to do in that game, I think it's handled a lot better than the kind of stuff that you come across in Bioshock. And maybe it's different art styles, and maybe it's... Because it's a you know a modern shooter set in Dubai rather than an underwater city, but yeah, I don't really know how to answer that question. It's it's a difficult question to so ask. So I really I really enjoy spec I really enjoyed Spec Ops when I played it as well. And yeah. If we ever were to play it again for the podcast, I'd look forward to that. Um, but I wouldn't say they handles them better. I think they're just different. I think it's like yeah, that's fair. Like we, we were saying, one is very personal. One is very detached. It's almost like a detached observation. Yes. But you're you're this detached character that comes into this horror that kind of views it from an outside perspective, even though you're integral to what's happening. Um, but yeah, I just think it's the personal versus, and I think I just think that's a, that's a difference in taste between you and I. I mean, I do like the personal stories as well, but I think generally speaking, you prefer personal stories over. Um, over some of the other stuff that you might see. Mm, yeah. Do you think this game is fun? For the most part, I'd say yes, but it definitely I I I think you got to remember this game is from 2007. We also discussed the fact that this was a game that was originally designed for PC and it came to consoles and it was adapted for consoles, but I feel like it carries over a lot of those systems from PC. Yeah, no, um, I, I, yeah, I, I get where you're coming from with that. It's quite systems heavy. I mean, there's a lot of menu stuff. I'll tell you what I don't enjoy. I don't enjoy the, the hacking minigame, which I, is the same. I didn't do any of the hacking minigames because I tried it once or twice and it did my head in. So whenever I had the option, I'd use an auto-hacking tool or I would just pay because that hacking minigame sucks. I just think it's a missed opportunity that they didn't have a plasmid towards the end that allowed you to bypass hacking um yeah i wasn't i wasn't a fan of the hacking minigame i think it it hurts the pacing every literally once a minute hacking something yeah um i think it's a i think it's a it it could definitely be a better system it could be more refined it could be more intuitive sometimes you'll aim your gun and the aiming isn't quite right it's not quite tight enough um but I do think it's a uh, it's a game that rewards creativity, um, using your plasmids in fun and interesting ways. I mean, I said to you, I started using the crossbow very late on in the game, and I was loving the crossbow because when I was uh, <laughs> when I was using the machine guns to take out enemies, it was taking ages. Then I started using the crossbow and getting headshots, and they were going down in one shot. Um, so yeah, it it rewards you experimenting with the guns. It rewards you 
mixing up the guns with the plasmids and, and that kind of thing. Um, so generally I'd say yes, it definitely gets tedious and a bit repetitive at times, but generally I'd say it's quite fun. Um, do you have a favourite move? I, I didn't use the plasmids for a majority of the first half of the game just because I preferred the shooting, even though the shooting left a lot to be wanted. But I think towards the end when I started adding to my plasmids, etc., I quite enjoyed using either the fire plasmid move at like level yeah. three. I thought Incinerate. that was quite good. Or the bit the bees. Oh yeah. The um shooting a swarm or something. Yeah, swarm of bees at enemies. Insect I thought swarm. that was quite cool. We should we should probably mention for the, those who don't know that game plasmids are like um like magic powers that you can learn as you go through, aren't they? Yeah, they're gene augmentations that allow you to yeah, use different yeah things that you wouldn't normally be able to do and, and the splices the enemies in the game they're enemies that have used these things too often and they've gone a bit insane crazy. um yes yeah what was your favorite move? word um i think the crossbow um in the end i just really enjoyed that crossbow <laughs> i think it's a lot of fun i like crossbows in games anyway but i was for me, the machine gun was generally working, so I didn't want to deviate, but then I'm glad I did towards the end. Yeah. Um, so, what do you think about the aesthetics of this game? I, I didn't really think of it beforehand, but when you mentioned the comparisons that you saw to that and um, Arkham Asylum, I can see that. Um, with other games as well of that time, particularly PC shooters... I think that it can you can definitely draw comparisons. I mean, the aesthetic of it is half of the reason that I think people very much enjoy this game, and you can you can see the the themes and where they they got their ideas from. And obviously, Rapture is to some extent a version of Atlantis, and I very much enjoyed the nineteen. 30s 40s 50s style of it and the music in there etc as well i prefer the aesthetic of columbia in infinite but those are two very different themes anyway and i think after quite a while i got bored with how dark and dank everything was but at the same time i'm a big fan of art deco stylings and there was a lot of that in this game so it was very hit or miss with me because I did tire of the same kind of scenery all the time. But overall, it isn't a bad-looking game, particularly, you know, if you're playing it on a on a next-gen console. So like I said, this game came out in 2007, uh, so it's, it's over 10 years old. But it, it does still look good, you know? Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think if the aesthetics hadn't hadn't so perfectly captured what, rapture is i agree I don't, I don't think it would be as fondly remembered i think it all feeds into it to itself and um I, I think the aesthetics are a big part of that the art deco stylings and apparently um ken levine said that he went to new york and there's a there's a a part of new york which has this art deco stylings and i think it may be around central station um and he said that Rapture was basically recreating that block in New York within the game world. 
one, one thing I like about Rapture is that you are constantly, constantly reminded that you're under the sea. Um, yeah. So it's everywhere. It's either dripping through the Floods ceiling or the or windows. The windows yeah. And you always know where you are. Um, and I think you've also got to just cast your mind back to 2007 and what other games were doing. Yeah, of course. Because I, I, I think games generally have got better at doing more varied levels and varied environments um, nowadays. I mean, that may... Um, obviously, it varies from game to game, so it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. But we're just coming off the PS2 era where everything looked grey and... <laughs> I mean, again, it doesn't apply to every game, but a lot of a lot of games this 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 applies to, and I think we really get some some really nice um, art direction in this game, and yeah, I, agree I think with it that. applies to the characters as well. Uh, the soundtrack I adore. I, I love the I love the licensed tracks, and I love the original tracks as well. I think it just comes together to a really nice consistent whole. Um, but I, but I do agree with you. I think without that, it wouldn't be Bioshock. I don't know what it would be, but it wouldn't be Bioshock. It would just be shock. So I think <laughs> just be B. <laughs> uh, um, okay, on to our question of the week. Now, I think we've been talking a bit about the worlds of games. I think especially in this episode, it's relevant. And we talked about the world of Spec Ops. And hopefully it will all come together in this question of the week. Now, the question is, what is the most novel slash original game world that you can think of, um, which really makes you say, well, this is really inventive, the, what they've done here. Um, That's a very big question. So can question. you think of any examples? That's a very big question. Um, now, I can give you mine first, if you like. Yeah, please. Okay. So the game that I've picked, because I just love the idea of this world, and it's a game that I've completed and I do really enjoy, and that is Xenoblade Chronicles. Now, the world of this game, it's a Japanese RPG, but it is certainly not your, your conventional um, RPG world. So in that game, there are two titans um, that are forever interlocked in battle. They're frozen, and... As you progress in the game, you start off at the base of the Bionis, which is um, your bionic, I suppose, Titan, which has grass and greenery and forests. And and you start off uh, near the bottom and you gradually travel upwards towards the head. And then you gradually make your way onto the Mechonis, which is the more mechanical Titan. And... You can see at any point in the game, you can look up and you can see the other Titan or you can see the Titan that you're on, the Titan's knee. Um, yeah. They somehow managed to marry a JRPG world with these two Titans that you're always aware that you're on. And I just think it's so clever and it's so, I mean, it's so simple, but it works so well. So that's, that's, uh, that's my head nod to a game with a great world. I think... That's that's a really difficult question to answer, and even with that time just then to think, I'm still struggling a little bit because there are there are very good ones, and obviously some some are better than others. And 
with a lot of games becoming open world these days or over the past kind of five, ten years, they can all kind of merge into one. And it might be very basic to say, but I, I really enjoyed the world of GTA V because there's just so much that Rockstar put into it. But at the same time, I'd say that's trumped by Red Dead Redemption 2 because that world, it does feel alive people yeah. doing their own things you know what i mean with obviously you've played red dead 2 now and it's very much like you feel like you're in the old west with that game it's it, it certainly stand out but i think out of all of them that would stand out to me in terms of that really gets you into it and it's a game that i'd have to give the caveat that this answer only counts for like the first couple of times that I played it back about 10 years ago, but Fallout 3 or Fallout New okay. Vegas. Because similar to Bioshock, you've got that 1950s style, but it's it's the whole thing of, you know, the, the view of 1950s America, that nuclear family kind of vibe and that, you know, it's hard to put into words. Yeah, I know what you but, mean. But, you know, 1950s America was very much white picket fence, um, a nice family with a son and a daughter. and The American dream. Yeah, that's it's, what it it's, is. it's, it's the it's, American dream of the time. And then that just gets blown away. And when you go out exploring that wasteland, you still see remnants of it. And I think particularly with the radio in Fallout 3 in New Vegas, it's just got this real atmosphere to it and i mean there are, there are no fallout games on the list that we're going to cover but when we come to covering our own personal games i think that probably fallout new vegas will be on my list of games for us to cover just because i love the world of fallout 3 and you know fallout 4 came out and it wasn't that great and fallout 76 i've not played it but everyone knows that that game was received very poorly but yeah, there's something quite special about Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas. And Fallout 3 is a very flawed game, but just the it's it's just oozing with atmosphere and oozing of the time period that it's it's stuck in, do you know? Yeah, I think you've presented two contrasting examples in Red Dead Redemption where you've got I suppose a very realistic living world which does its best to emulate a real time. Yeah. Um, but also with that, I suppose that rock star flair that you always get. So you get the odd characters and um, here and there, and you get the odd side stories. Yeah. And then you've got the more, obviously the more fictionalized, I suppose the more sci-fi uh, elements that of the fallout games, I think, yeah, they're both valid. And, and that, that, that was, I suppose the point that, I mean, we've we've talked about this a bit, and and um, so for me, one of the, one of the things I love about Bioshock is the way that it makes me imagine. So I imagine that Rapture's a, a real place, and I only get to see a certain part of it in the game, but I can imagine that there are places beyond that um, because it feels like a real place. It feels, I suppose, it sparked my imagination. So yeah, I suppose this question was which which games. Um, which game worlds spark your imagination the most? I'd say that 
Bioshock, and it's only something that's just come to me, but Bioshock has a very Lovecraftian feel to it, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, definitely. It, yeah, it, I mean, it's kind of got that that air about it, and I mean, Lovecraft is. I've not really read much of his stuff, but from what I do know of Lovecraft, that it has that real kind of vibe about it of you know because i think lovecraft was writing stuff 50s 60s maybe maybe a bit earlier no, it was than earlier than that i think i think it was the 20s and i mean lovecraft himself is incredibly problematic <laughs> but yeah you know you've, you've just got to look, look up on google what he called his dog but i think for the worlds that he created bioshop uh, bioshock could easily be within that it feels like it's a mix of lovecraft and stephen king yeah i think love there's this idea about the bottom of the sea that it's a different world and that i mean and i think lovecraft perpetuated this idea that the bottom of the sea is something to be feared because it's different and he, 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 unknown he invented and, cthulhu and stuff didn't he lovecraft yeah unknown and unknowable and when you play Bioshock, there's almost this feeling that Rapture, sh- Rapture shouldn't exist and, it, and it, they shouldn't have done it because how can you put something at the bottom of the sea and expect it to work? Um, it was always destined to go wrong in a way and I think it feeds into, I suppose, our natural fear of the unknown. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Um, okay, so did the critics get it right? What was the score that this game was given? Did you mention at the start? I can't remember. Yeah, so the the score was 96 and it was number 18 on our list. No. That, that, like I said, that there were elements of this game that I thought were decent and I didn't hate I didn't hate it as much as I thought I was going to. Like when I was about 2 hours in, I thought I was just going to despise it. And I didn't dislike it as much as I thought I did, but this is certainly a game that I've got absolutely zero interest in playing again. There were elements to it that were interesting, and there are elements to it that I, I somewhat enjoyed. But, I mean, if I compare this, if we had to stick one Bioshock game on here, in my personal preference, it would be Infinite. Now, I haven't played Infinite in about seven or eight years, but I have much fonder thoughts of going back to that game and playing it again, whereas with Bioshock one yeah i just i'm glad that i've played it because it is one of those games that everyone does hold in such high regard and it's got the very famous plot twist in it and it's heralded as you know gaming royalty to some some extent but my own personal preference i wouldn't put this game on this list and if it did have to be on here I put it very, very low. It does some stuff well, and if I try and look back to 2007 when it came out and compare it to other games at the time, it probably would stand out a little bit, but my own personal tastes, I didn't really like it that much. See, in terms of the Bioshock series, and you you know this already, I'm completely opposite to you, I think. (laughs) Infinite should be nowhere near this list. I think it's, yeah. we'll, we'll, We'll get to that. Yeah, so I would say it does deserve to be on the list. It wouldn't be tremendously high for me. I'd say it'd be in the bottom 50, maybe in the bottom seven, uh, 25 even. 
but um, it would definitely be there somewhere. So I think the, the critics got it right. Um, okay. That was Bioshock. That was a very in-depth episode. So we hope you enjoyed it, obviously. Um, what is coming up on the Long and Short of It podcast? What is coming up on the Long and Short of It podcast in two weeks from today, if you're listening to this on release day, which you might not be, so if not, then this means nothing to you. But in two weeks, we'll be releasing our episode on Hades, which is obviously a relatively recent release. Um, but it's garnered quite a lot of um, critical acclaim and a lot of people within kind of, well, content, content creators on YouTube seem quite keen on Hades. I know you've not really started it yet. I'm no. about two or three hours into it. I think it will be um, an interesting episode because it's not the kind of game that you really enjoy, but I'm I'm enjoying it a fair bit so far. But yeah, Hades on the Switch. Are you looking forward to it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm feeling positive or negative. I'm not feeling negative either. Feeling I just. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not excited. I'm not unexcited. I'll give it a go. Yeah see how i feel well that's all we i think ask. what this episode has done i think out of all out of all the the episodes so far i think it's the one that's highlighted our different tastes the most out of and, and i've always said it we do have different tastes but there is a crossover um, quite an extensive crossover yeah there's there's a decent sized crossover but we do have different tastes and i think we look for different things in, in games as well so and it's always nice that i mean this is a learning experience for us um to see what we like about games and to discuss these games and how they hold up. So we hope you're enjoying it and we hope you stick with us and hope you play along with us. Indeed. If you want to contact us, give us your thoughts on any of the games or tell me how wrong I am for not liking Bioshock, you can get us on the social medias, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and you can email us at the long and short fit podcast at hotmail.com. If you want to follow us on whatever platform you listen to us on, that would be greatly appreciated. If you want to give us a follow, subscribe, or a rating or share, we'd appreciate it very much. But yeah, we hope you've enjoyed this episode on Bioshock. We look forward to seeing you next time for Hades. Anything else from you? No, I'm just looking, well, not looking for, I'm neutral about heading down to the underworld for Hades. You're not looking forward to it, you're just looking to it. Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Got well, my eye on it. We shall see you on the next episode, and in the meantime, take care. Yeah, see you on the next one. Cheerio.